We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Wednesday, and that means it's time for our midweek rundown. Going to have some really interesting topics today, at least things that I'm interested to talk about. Hopefully you all are interested in hearing me talk about them. I think they're very important topics, and the three topics today are going to be two recruiting topics and then a team topic. Just a reminder on these Wednesday shows, since they are solo shows, it is really challenging to be able to talk about certain things and then go through and also star questions and engage in questions and engage in the board. So when I do these Wednesday solo shows, I will not be doing a mailbag afterwards. If you send in a super chat, it automatically gets starred and put to the side. So it's easy to answer those. So if you really want something you want me to address or answer today, just feel free to leave a super chat. Otherwise we'll obviously have our mailbags on, on the other days. We have our Friday free for all, and that it's just the reason why, it's just really challenging to do a mailbag. And then for me to be the only one talking, I know y'all know I like to talk, but the reason I can do a three, four hour show is because there's, you know, there's somebody else talking and I can, you know, take a break and catch my breath and get a drink of water and all those type of things. When you're doing a solo show, it's just, it's a, uh, it's a little challenging to do all that and talk that long and also monitor the chat and all that other kind of stuff. So I just want people to understand why we're not doing mailbags on on the solo show days. Three topics I'm going to discuss today. Number one, we're going to dive into Notre Dame's offensive recruiting. We're going to look at just the the manner in which it's just greatly improved the last two years. And the interesting aspect of it's with Marcus Freeman's arrival, that's the side of the ball that's actually recruited the best since he's become head coach. We'll dive into what they need to do to finish this year out strong on the offensive class. Not strong. I mean, it's already strong, but like just really how can you really get it to where it's wow. Like you just really hit all your your notes this year, hit all your marks in impressive fashion. Uh, talk about the, the you know, what those players would mean, things along those lines. Then we're going to dive into Texas recruiting. And I'm going to talk about just the importance of Texas to Notre Dame, why they should recruit the state of Texas. And then just kind of go over some of the results and, and what I want to see from it moving forward and what some of the things could help Notre Dame continue this pipeline. What are some things that could become detrimental to continue this level of success, things along those lines. And then the last part of the show is going to be about the sophomore class and just the importance of that group to Notre Dame's opportunity to be a, a potential title contender, playoff team, really just maximize your potential as a program and how uh, the sophomore class is going to play a huge, huge role in that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So let's first dive into Notre Dame's offensive recruiting. It, it, it is really, it is it is really ironic. Number one, that the the driver of of a lot of the success since Marcus Freeman really was promoted to head coach has been offensive recruiting, and and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it, and we can dive into it, uh, you know, maybe in another show. But the focus here today is going to be on, you know, just what they've done and and, and some of the areas for that success. Number one, biggest reason for success. I think that's the side of the ball where Marcus Freeman honestly has made his best hires from a recruiting standpoint. We can debate the quality of the coaching on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, Al Washington has a chance, I think, this year to, to do a, a really good job and, and be a driving force on the defense. You know, we can talk about, you know, Al Golden getting his feet wet. He could be a lot better this year as a coach. Obviously, Mike Mickens is, is the exception to that rule. We can debate whether or not Chris O'Leary is a really good safeties coach. I think he is a pretty good safeties coach. Recruiting has obviously not been up to par, but offensively, it was Harry Heastan last year. Now it's Joe Rudolph has a chance to do that. Chancey Stuckey's been a home run hire so far. Dylan McCullough's been an absolute home run hire so far. Uh, Jared Parker's done a really nice job as, as a coordinator. I think Tommy Reese having a head coach that was putting in the work allowed him to have some success not just recruiting quarterbacks, but also you know being the driver of it. Jared Parker's having a lot of that success. Chad Bowden's had a played a major role uh, in the success in this, but the there's there's a lot of reasons why, and and I think a big part of it is the the we talked about it yesterday is the talent of the coaches that are doing the recruiting, the fact that you have a head coach now that's more engaged in recruiting on that side of the ball, and I think it's been an easier sell for whatever reason, in spite of the fact or despite the fact that the offense on the field hasn't really been that good since 2019. The 2020 offense had some good efficiency, but it wasn't a really great group. Obviously wasn't good in in some of the bigger games. The 2021 offense had some flashes at times, but also had some really rough spots. Last year's offense was just for the most part, very mediocre. It did what it needed to do to win nine games. And, And then of course, didn't do what it needed to do against Marshall. Didn't do what it needed to do against Ohio state and Stanford and those losses. And so, uh, even in the USC game, it had opportunities to go make plays and and you know make it a three point game. For example, you're down 17-7, first drive of the third quarter. You're going right down the field. You're getting in. The, you're about to be in red zone territory. You score it 17-14, just like that. You've got all the momentum. Instead, offense fumbles. USC gets it. They go down and drive. Next thing you know, it's 24-7. Yes, the defense didn't play well that game, but the offense missed out on its opportunities. So the product on the field has not been good. And I think that's some of the excitement that I have about what offensive recruiting could be in the future if this staff, as it's com- currently comprised, can stay together for just maybe another year or two. You know, what what kind of offense recruiting you could have. And, and we're going to focus on 24 recruiting, but also there needs to be a look at kind of in a two-year window because the key, the reason that I'm so excited about this class is not just not just because of its talent. It is talented. But what do we always talk about? It's about stacking classes. 
stacking units, stacking sides of the ball and stacking big picture classes on top of each other. And when you look at each position group, you're like, man, they just have not had any misses, really. The offensive line class is still a TBD, but right now they're looking like they have a shot to finish very well. And so when you look at offensive recruiting right now in the 24 class, you have 10 commits right now. It is June 7th, and Notre Dame has literally, literally, I'm not even being hyperbolic, they have literally met all of their numbers needs in the class. They needed a quarterback. They needed two. They needed, wanted, then needed two running backs. So originally it was a want, then it became a need. They've got that. They only needed three receivers. They only need one tight end. They only needed three offensive linemen. Those were the numbers that we set up at the beginning were sort of the minimum number needs. And they've already got them. And the thing is, they've got them in talented form. You've got a top 100 quarterback. A run. You have one running back that is ranked in the top 100 by at least one service. Another's ranked 108. You have two receivers that are ranked as top 100 players by at least one service, and you have an offensive lineman that's ranked as as top 100 player by at least one service. So it's not even just that you load it up at one position group. You've literally got impact talent across the board, depending on on who you talk to. I think that's certainly true at the skill positions, quarterback, running back, and receiver. And so when when you look at this class and the makeup of this class, there's a lot of impact talent. You've got a quarterback that is a top 20 player by at least one service. You have five players on your offensive class, five, that are ranked as a top 100 recruit by at least one service. And that's C.J. Carr, Cam Williams, Isaiah Canyon, Kedron Young, and Peter Jones. Those are the five. All 10 of your commits, all 10, are ranked as, as top 250 recruits by at least one service. Because even though you, you look at a guy like Jack Larson, who some people have dropped down as a three-star ESPN still has him in the top 200. Anthony Knapp's a three-star by a couple people. He's ranked number 206 by on three. So every player that you have, Styles Prescott is ranked, I think, 189 by on three, even though a couple others have him as a three-star. And so at least one outlet values, in my opinion, uh, what this group brings to the table. And and I certainly do as well. So with the addition of Keedron Young, when you look at the Irish breakdown grades, uh, I have Keedron Young as the number three player in the class for Notre Dame. I'm just pulling up my my rankings here. So if you haven't checked it out, I did do an article on this, uh, breaking down, um, uh, breaking down the the rankings. Let me let me pull that up. But I have obviously CJ Carr is my number one ranked offensive commit in the class. Uh, Cam Williams. Actually, I'm just going to go and pull this up so you all can take a peek at it. So if you if you have not read this article, definitely check it out. But as you can see here, this is the ranking of the class. And so let me make that a little bit bigger for you. That is my top 10 of the offensive class. Obviously, C.J. Carr ranked number one. Cam Williams ranked number two. Keedron Young is number three. Isaiah Canyon's number four. Now, all four of those players, if you if you know my grading system, each player has its an Irish breakdown grade. So as you can see right here on C.J. Carr, this is their current grade. This is how I view them now as recruits. And then there's an upside grade, which is more of a, Hey, this kid has talent, but right now he ranks here with work, with potential, if he develops the way that I think he can as an individual. And then from a coaching standpoint, this is the type of player I think he can be. And so that you have that upside grade too. But you have right now the top four players on the board for me are guys that I have as top uh, 100 recruits. And two of them are top 50 recruits. And then obviously number three, Keedron Young is that category. And then Isaiah Canyon is in that category as well. Three of the commits in the class right now have top have five star upside grades for me. Now, one thing to keep in mind uh, this year is uh, this is an example of when when you look at that kind of this class. It's my fr- not an example of it's my first year or it's a, a not first year. I always try to adjust the way that I do rankings to make sure that they're as accurate as possible, that I'm able to stay on top of you know some areas where I might be having misses. I talked about it a little bit yesterday. Um, and, and so you, here, let me, let me get rid of that real quick. That is kind of annoying. Uh, so when you, when you look at it and you say, okay, where can I improve my rankings process? How can I upgrade it? How can I update it? One thing that I felt that I was doing is I was giving uh, too much of a, of a high ceiling to two, the, the five-star upside to too many players too early, uh, and, and still had some question marks. And to me, if you're a five-star, you shouldn't really have any any glaring question marks for me to put you as a five-star upside guy. And and there were. So as I look back on it, 
I decided I wanted to be a little bit more critical of that. And so right now, but I even with that in mind, I still have three players that have five-star upside grades, CJ Carr, uh, Cam Williams, and Isaiah Canyon. So there's a lot of value in this class. There's a lot of uh, depth in this class, but there's also a lot of impact in this class. Only one of the players in the class does not rank as a four-star player on my board right now. That's Anthony Knapp. I have him as a three-and-a-half-star player, which is that of a top, you know, 350 type of guy. He does have a four-star upside grade for me. I have Jack Larson as a top 250 guy. Styles Prescott is a top 250 guy. I have Aeneas Williams as a top 200 guy. Peter Jones. Actually, I, I think I think I have Peter Jones as a top 150 guy. Let me just check and make sure. He might be top 200. Yeah, top 150 guy. Um, and he's a guy, uh, he's, he's, there's a Micah Gilbert's number five. He's a top 150 guy. Isaiah Canyon, there's a little bit of a gap between four and five in the top four. Those other four guys all have, uh, are, are top hundred players for me. And all of them are ranked as top hundred players by at least one service. So this isn't like I'm uh, going on a stretch and these guys are, nobody's ever heard of these guys, which on defense, I have a couple guys like that, but these are guys that are getting a lot of respect. Uh, from other people, but also obviously guys that I believe are very talented. And here's the important part for me. Notre Dame is, has landed a lot of highly ranked players in the past. A lot of five stars, high four stars, you know, guys that at least one service ranks as a five stars. But at the same time, they were a lot of linemen, offensive linemen, tight ends, players like that. You weren't seeing a lot of the skill, the true skill, the quarterbacks, the receivers, and the, t- and the running backs that were consistently high ranked. And I think when, when you look at what's changed, in my opinion, of the, of the last two years, one of the biggest differences when you look at Notre Dame's recruiting has been the fact that a lot of the higher ranked players that they've signed are offensive skill players. Last year, for example, my number one ranked recruit in the class was an offensive lineman. And that was Charles Jagasaw. So I'm actually going to couldn't bring that up. I'm having some fun bringing those graphics up so you all don't have to just stare at me the entire time. Get something else for you to look at. But if you look at last year's class, for example, and, and the top players that I had in that class, let's pull that up. So Charles Jagasaw, who was an offensive lineman, was my number one ranked player. But after that, my two, my three, my four, my five, my six were all skill players. Jeremiah Love was a top 50 player. Braylon James is a top 100 guy for me. Jaden Greathouse was a top 100 guy for me. Kenny Minchie was a top 100 guy for me. Uh, and, and then you have number six, Caleb Smith was a top 150 guy for me. That's not that I didn't like the offensive lineman or I didn't like Cooper Flanagan. They, they were all guys that I liked, but it's just that receiver class was outstanding. And as you can see, I didn't have Rico Flores as high as others. I still had him as a top 200 recruit. And, and I think he's already starting to show that – he might actually be able to outplay that pretty quickly. Now, I did give him, I believe I gave Rico a four and a half star upside grade. Let me just check that out. So I did like the potential. Yep, I did. Uh, so there's a lot of talent there, a lot of potential there. But this is really the thing that's changed the most about offensive recruiting the last two years is that you're, you're seeing Notre Dame really improve its ability to land, in my view, high-level skill. And I think that's a that's an important piece to this conversation. And when you look at the 2010 class, or the, excuse me, 2024 class, I think that shows out even greater because the best prospect in your class, the five-star in your class, is a quarterback. You have another kid who's a five-star, I think, on the 247 composite uh, rankings. I, I'm, let me just check that real quick, make sure that we're accurate. Cam Williams uh, is, in fact, a, a five-star on the 247 sports composite ranking. So, He's also a guy that's a five-star. CJ should be a five-star, and he would be if it wasn't for on three's ridiculous ranking of him having him like number 193. So there's a lot to like about this class. I think this staff has done a phenomenal job. And I think when you look at how it's complemented each other with last year's class, that's also really important. So this year's, last year's quarterback, Kenny Minchie, this year's quarterback, CJ Carr, love that one-two punch. The reason it's important to stack quarterbacks on top of each other is because Notre Dame is it could go out and sign a big time quarterback but if you don't surround it with other talented quarterbacks you're getting some problems and we saw this last year where in in 2021 where Jack Cohn goes down and you've got to put a freshman in there because in years prior you didn't do a good enough job recruiting or developing your players and keeping them here so you didn't have you didn't have anybody to turn to when Jack Cohn went down except for a true freshman and Tyler Buckner 
you know, last year Tyler Buckner goes down and, and you've got to put Drew Pine in the game. Solid player, good player, you know, guy, good leader, can get you out of some games. There's a lot to like about Drew Pine as a backup quarterback. But you're looking at other places where, you know, if, if Justin Fields goes down, you're have to put a freshman in the game, but it's C.J. Stroud. You know, if Mac Jones goes down, you're putting a freshman in the game, but it's Bryce Young. And But you're able to stack those classes on top of each other. Some of the schools that haven't been able to do that are kind of going into situations this year um, where the court, because they haven't recruited this quarterback as well in recent seasons, Alabama being an example, or at least developed them as well, that you're in a situation where you've got to go out and get a, a grad transfer. So that's kind of where Notre Dame has been, and that's why there was the need to bring in Sam Hartman. But when you recruit Kenny Minchie and C.J. Carr back-to-back, and if they can add another talented quarterback at 25, not only do you have a great depth chart, but here's the key. It's your margin for error quarterback widens. And when you only have like one quarter good quarterback every three or four years, if he doesn't pan out, if he gets hurt, there's a big drop-off between him and the next quarterback. If Kenny Minchie becomes Notre Dame starter in 2024, for example, and he gets hurt or, or whatever the case may be, you, you've got a C.J. Carr to turn to. If C.J. Carr becomes a starter, you might have a, a Kenny Minchie to turn to or whoever you bring in behind him. You need to be able to have that depth. If you're expecting Kenny Minchie to be a star and, and he ends up not being as good as we think he can be, you need another guy behind him that can come in and make that play. And that's the that's the key of getting those two guys back-to-back. And it has been a few years. I think the last time Notre Dame really stacked back-to-back quarterbacks really well from a recruiting standpoint, you probably have to go back to really 11 to 15. I thought was Notre Dame's best stretch of quarterback recruiting. I thought it was outstanding. You had obviously Everett Golson in 2011. You got Gunnar Keel in 12. You got Malik Zaire in 2013. You got Deshaun Kaiser in 14. And then Brandon Wimbush in 15. After that, it was Ian Book. It was Avery Davis, who who – knew wasn't going to plan on a quarterback. Phil Dracovic was was a talented player, didn't pan out, but at least a talented recruit, still one of my top-ranked recruits in Notre Dame signed. The next year, you get Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Clark. And then the next year, you get Drew Pine. And then you get Tyler Buckner in 2021, and then he's followed up by Steve Angeli. So it wasn't the same level of recruiting that we saw earlier in Kelly's tenure. And I think we saw the result of that. So that in two of the last three years, Notre Dame's going to have to start a transfer quarterback because of that inability to, to recruit and develop uh, recruit quarterbacks at Notre Dame. Well, now you're starting to see that, and now it's going to be up to Gino Goduli to continue that in the 25 class. But 23 and 24 is outstanding. Look at running back recruiting. Dylan McCullough has done a phenomenal job. And look, Tony Alford did an outstanding job recruiting running backs. There were some things that kept him from being able to have even some more success at times that wasn't necessarily about him. Uh, it was more so about the system or the head coach or things along those lines. But he did an outstanding job. Obviously, he signed some very talented running backs, George Atkinson, uh, Greg Bryant, Torian Folston, Josh Adams, Dexter Williams. Uh, so there was plenty of talented running backs during that tenure. Obviously, and he was also responsible for Theo Riddick and Sierra Wood because he was uh, the running backs coach in 09. He was one of the Charlie Weiss holdovers that did a great job with that. Audrey Denson was really struggled with recruiting. I could tell you some horror stories about that. And then that left Notre Dame going into 19 and 20 with some major question marks of running back. Now, Lance Taylor and Chip Long helped get it better. You obviously got Chris Tyree in 2020. You got Audrey Estime and Logan Diggs in 2021. And then uh, he got Jadarian Price in 22. And then Dylan McCullough has come in and not only continued that success, but I think built on it. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday to kind of evaluate the running backs where they were as sophomores. And I mean, as junior. So if I'm a value at the same time and talking about Logic Estime and Logan Diggs and Jadarian Price, Jabron Payne, uh, and then the two kids they have in this year's class, Kedron Young and and uh, Aeneas Williams. And honestly, the two guys that rank at the top were Jadarian Price and Kedron Young, even ahead of Estime and Logan Diggs. And I was always high on Logan Diggs. Estime was a good back as a junior. He His breakout came as a senior. So we'll have to see if these other guys can make that kind of breakout. But the recruiting is certainly upgraded, in my opinion, under under uh, Darn- Darnell. Sorry, that's his wife's name, uh, Dela McCullough, and and it, it's not just the talent acquisition, which is important. Jeremiah Love was a top fifty recruit for me, uh, became such. He was more top hundred to one twenty five when they first started recruiting him. Had a big breakout as a senior, jumped up to top fifty, certainly top hundred. You look at uh, Neus Williams, he's a top 200 guy on my board. Rivals has him ranked number 108. 
And then Kedron Young is a guy that I have as a top 100 recruit. He's been a top 100 recruit for me for a long time, and he's a top 100 recruit according to On3. So it's not only a, an up, a jump in talent, it's a jump in complementary skill as well. And I think this is something that I really like because you can have success recruiting, recruiting the same type of back. You, you can, especially if you're a team like Alabama, because Alabama for a while there, early in Saban's tenure, I mean, they were all pretty much the same back. From Mark Ingram to Derrick Henry, they were all pretty much the same back. Now, they had some variant skills, and you know Eddie Lacy wasn't like TJ Yeldon completely. But the, when I say same back, what I mean is you're using them the same way. You're running the same schemes. You're, you're, their emphasis is on running and, and maybe pass pro. They're not guys that are real dynamic pass catchers. You're not bringing one guy in to run this offense and another guy in to kind of do these things. You, you don't really play them together because they kind of do the same thing. Maybe a guy can do some lead blocking. And so you can win that way. But I think for Notre Dame, the key to success is to bring in complementary skills. And I think when you look at Notre Dame's best running back tandems, guys they've used together. Uh, so like I said, I don't count 15 as a tandem because they didn't really use Josh Adams until C.J. Prosize got hurt. But when you look at their best tandems over the years, they're guys that bring different skill sets to the table. You think of Theo Riddick and Sierra Wood in 2012, very different backs. Sierra Wood and Jonas Gray in 2011, very different backs. 2010, Sierra Wood, notice Sierra Wood was in a lot of those. Sierra Wood and Robert Hughes, different backs. Uh, you look at t- uh, 2018, you know, Dexter Williams, Tony Jones, similar backs, which is why one guy was primarily got more of the carries. Last year, Audric Estime and Logan Diggs were kind of the exception uh, to to the rule. And so I think having complement – and the reason that was problematic is because if you had a team that could defend that one part, that one thing you do, that inside run game, and slow you down there, you didn't have anywhere to turn. And so for me, I would like to get to the point where when you look at Notre Dame and and you, you look at how they're building their backfields, you've got to have multiple every-down backs. Now, they can be different types of every-down backs. Jeremiah Love, to me, is an every-down back, but he's going to do it differently and probably with less volume than a Kedron Young, for example. So you can play them together and, and, and mix the carries up that way. You look at Aeneas Williams. Aeneas Williams can be a lead back, much like Kyron Williams was. I think he's a better version of Kyron Williams. But, it, but how are you best utilizing him? And I think that's going to be a key for me is you need backs that can do all the same things. You need to be able to have every back be able to run duo and inside zone and counter. But it doesn't mean that that's what you you major in the same thing. So, you know, with this back, I may be more inside zone, counter outside zone. With this other back, I may be duo and, and G scheme or duo and buck sweep or, or something, you know, duo in a, in, a, in a rap scheme, something like that. Uh, this other back's more of, a, of an off tackle guy. He's more of a counter outside zone you know, toss sweep type of guy. It's the same concepts. They can all run it, but I can mix up how I'm attacking you with different players, which means you have a lot more you have to prepare for defensively, but it also allows you the opportunity to use them together. I'm a big believer, uh, and this is more personal bias. I'm a big believer, and in, in, in especially for a place like Notre Dame where you're not always going to have the, the, the most talented team on the field, you can be in that conversation, but Notre Dame's not going to have 2019 LSU talent. I don't, I don't think. Not many people do. Uh, they're not going to have a receiving core that's going to look like that Bama group where it was Jerry Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. It can be very good, but is it going to be that? No, but not many people do. Same with Ohio State. But the key is you have a lot of talent. You have talent at different positions, and you have talent in, in areas where you look at your roster and you say, boy, I can do a lot with this group. And I think that's going to be a key for Notre Dame because then – Yes, you have talent. You have a top five to seven offensive talented roster at that point in time, but you don't just have to rely on talent. You can now scheme that talent into greater success, and that's how you get the big-time numbers. And that's how Notre Dame can get up to be that 38, 39, 40-plus point-per-game team is, yes, you have talent. Yes, you have impact quarterbacks, but you can use this talent in a lot of different ways and attack teams in a lot of different ways, and now the scheme becomes more impactful because I, I'm able to utilize the talent in different ways, and it really leaves the defense just with not a lot of answers. And because if you find an answer on how to stop Kedron Young, for example, that may then expose you to being vulnerable to how I'm going to use Jeremiah Love or Aeneas Williams. Or if you're able to say, hey, look, we got a plan to make sure that Kedron Young and Jeremiah Love don't hammer us, that's fine, but you're going to have to commit a lot of resources to stopping those two guys and how you use them, or in Aeneas Williams and how you use them, now you've left yourself vulnerable to what we've got going on on the perimeter, looking at it from an offensive standpoint. 
And so to me, I, I look at it and say, boy, that's the kind of complimentary talent that I look for. And I think that's what they've done in these last two classes at running back. So it's high-level talent. Two of your three running backs are top 100 players on my board. The other's a top 200 guy on my board, but he's ranked 108 by another recruiting service. Then you look at the receiving core. I, I, again, I think that you've got two very complementary groups. Last year, you had one guy that was just a vertical downfield home run threat in Braylon James. And then you had two guys that are volume guys, you know, Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores that, you know, where, where if you look at like comps for pass receivers, Braylon James is going to do more of what you got from a, a Justin Ross, for example, I'm not saying he's as good as Justin Ross, but you know, he can do his damage on 40 catches. He can go 40 catches and have almost a thousand yards like Justin Ross did in 2018, where he had four, like 49 catches for over a thousand yards. Then you have a guy like Jaden Greathouse and guys like Rico Flores that are different types of players. Jaden Greathouse is more of a, of a Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, type of player, where, yes, he's an outstanding player, but the way that you're utilizing him, the way that you're, you're building your classes, he's more of a volume guy, as we saw in the spring game. That's not an insult, by the way. It's just a different type of being outstanding, a different type of dominance. And so when you look at Jaden Greathouse, you say, okay, this is a guy that, that does a lot of the things that that, that uh, I say Miles Boykin, that's probably not a good example, you know, but, but a guy that's just going to, he's going to go out there and maybe catch seven, eight, nine balls for 120 yards. Now there's going to be times where he catches five for 150 or three for a hundred. Cause he happens to rip off a big play and he's more than capable of ripping off of a big play, but it's more so looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, this is a guy that you move around, you get him a lot of catches. You, you, uh, and, and Juju Smith Schuster, by the way, is the comp that I used for Jane Greathouse last year. And, and so he may get 12, 1,300 yards, but it's on 95 catches or 100 catches, where another guy might get 12, 1,300 yards, but he does it on 70, like a Will Fuller. And then Rico Flores is very similar in that regard. Rico Flores is another guy that I looked at last year as, as a, a bit more of a volume guy. He's that guy on third and five that you just you have to get the ball to. Raymond McKnight was my comp for him, you know, a guy that, that's just going to be money. He's going to be clutch. He knows how to get open but not a guy that you're just going to run post routes to all day. Doesn't mean he can't do it. Doesn't mean you can't hit him on a go route. Doesn't mean he can't make big plays. It's just not his bread and butter. His bread and butter is I'm just screwing you into the ground with my post curl route. I'm screwing you into the ground with my comeback. You know, I'm, I'm stemming you up and then getting you, making you think post and then boom, I'm snapping it off to an over route and you just can't hit me with that. That triple move is just getting me open. I catch it. You tackle me 25 yard gain where other guys may catch that ball at 15 and then, it, you know, they're so fast, they take it up, take, you know, they, they take it the rest of the way or they catch a screen and make a guy miss. And then the speed is there. A guy like Braylon James can just run by you. And so to me, when, when I look at those type of guys, it's a really unique skill set. It's a different type of skill set. You can play all three of those guys together and do different things with them. And then you've got a Caleb Smith, who's a fast guy. You know, he can run crossers. He can take the top off the defense. He probably I probably rank him number two in the class of taking the top off the defense, but he's that guy you get screens to and you get crossers to and you have him run drags and overs and glance routes and things like that where you're trying to get him the ball in space. So you have four players that really bring you different skill sets. Only two of them are really comparable, and that's Rico and Jaden Greathouse. You know, Braylon's kind of a unique animal over here, and Caleb Smith is a, a bit of a unique animal over here. And so I, I like that complimentary nature, but you had a lot of guys that are more volume players in that class. Fast forward to 2024. You look at this year's receiver class. Micah Gilbert is a lot like last year's receivers. It's okay. You need a guy like that in every class. He's more of a guy. Uh, and there was a discussion with somebody on the board today uh, who, who was talking about Micah Gilbert and he, you know, he had, ranks him a little lower because he doesn't have bursts and those type of things. And I somewhat disagree with the burst standpoint, but my, my main disagreement is, you're saying that like it's a negative, right? Sometimes not every guy's an explosive, dynamic guy. Not every guy's recruited to do that. Why are you recruiting Micah Gilbert? It's because he is a volume type of guy. He's a guy that you're bringing in and saying, hey, this guy is going to catch a lot of passes for us. This guy's going to do a lot of the dirty work. Juju Smith-Schuster was also my comparison for uh, Micah Gilbert uh, on top of Jane Greathouse. So similar skill set there, right? But then you look at Cam Williams and you look at Isaiah Canyon and they're more Braylon James types. They're more stretch the field, run a go, run a post, do things with speed, use their size and length to really be impactful and dynamic. And so when you look at that situation, 
you 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 get in these situations where um, you now have more of that type of player in this class, where in last year Braylon was the anomaly, and it was more of the possession volume type of guys. So when you add them together, you have a really nice balance of three volume or three vertical, dynamic, tall, long, take the top off the defense, catch the goes, catch the posts, win the back shoulders, you know, get guys on your on skates on on vertical releases and then beat them on those type of things. You have three of those. Then you have three guys, and that's Braylon James, Cam Williams, and uh, Isaiah Canyon. Then you have three guys that are more of the volume type of players. You have Jaden Greathouse, you have Rico Flores, you have Micah Gilbert, who can play slot, can play field, can play boundary, but they're going to play the game in a different way. And then, of course, you have Caleb Smith, who's a little bit of an anomaly. I would argue that the Caleb Smith in the 2024 class is Aeneas Williams, because now that you have Kedron Young, if you need to go with a slot in this class, and let's say you don't fit, you, you want to go with a slot that's more of a, a shifty make you miss kind of guy, well, you don't have that at receiver in this year's class. That's what Aeneas Williams can do. I mean, this is a kid that had almost 1,300 yards receiving as a sophomore in high school, had also over 1,000 yards receiving that year. So why does it matter to have that type of numbers? You can't play seven receivers, right? Well, here's why it matters. Number one is you have depth. If most of them pan out, you've got great depth. You've got different skill sets. The other reason it matters is, is because not everybody's going to pan out. I, I think all those kids are talented. I think they all have potential to be impact players in their name, but they're not all going to be that. It's just the way it goes. That's that's life. But when you sign multiple players of certain skill sets, then what you've done is you've increased the odds that one of them at least, if not two, are going to be able to go out and be impact players with that skill set. And, and so if, if you have Braylon James in the 23 class, and then you don't have anybody like him in 24 and Braylon gets hurt or doesn't pan out or whatever the case may be, then now you just don't have that skill set. That's not the case now. You've got Cam Williams. You've got Isaiah Canyon. Now, if all three pan out, you're going to be hard to defend, right? If two of them pan out, you're going to be really hard to defend. But if one of them pans out and then two of the other type of pan out, you've got yourself a pretty darn good starting core. And then those other guys are still good players, but maybe just not what we'd hoped for. You still have good depth. And so when I look at this, I, I love the versatility that this group, this, group's ha- this group has. But more important, you looked at your roster and you said, okay, this year in this class, we need more of this type of player. And I think that was a really wise way to go about it, which is maybe why you saw them prefer a, a certain players over over others that people might have liked. So I, I really like that. I feel the same way about Jack Larson. I think Jack compliments Cooper Flanagan very well. The offensive line class is still a TBD. If they don't get Gearby Lambert, then I'm going to have some criticisms about the offensive line recruiting. And that's not just with Joe Rudolph. That's also going to look back last year with Coach Eastand because I don't know if you've got enough guys that are – I believe are definitely tackles. If you get Gearby Lambert, that changes things. And, and we'll get more into that here in a little bit. But when you, when you, when you look at this class, folks, I, it's hard for me not to get excited. I, I, I'm curious if you all are as excited as I am. I, I look at this group with CJ Carr and the two running backs and the three receivers and Jack Larson. And I say, I, I don't know if there's going to be more than two or three teams in the country. that are going to put a better group of skill player together than that. And I felt that about last year's class as well, for the most part. I mean, Jeremiah Love was a top five running back. You got a top five receiver class last year. You got one of the best blocking tight ends in the country, and that's what you were looking for was a blocking tight end. And, and so, I and, and Kenny Minchie to me was a, a top hundred quarterback. So, I look at this year's group, and I think it's even more dynamic because of as much as I love Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr to me is, is just better. You've got Jeremiah Love last year. You got two this year, and, and so I think it's really worked out. And you look at who some of the number two backs could have been last year. And, you know, you passed on the second back. You could have got, you know, Jay Lamar, did, didn't get him. I think that is going to be one of those things where that's a blessing in disguise for me. I like Jay Lamar. He was a nice player. I think I had him as a top 250 guy. Uh, I want to be – actually, I want to be – you know me. You guys know me. I want to be accurate on that, right? So I believe I had Jay Lamar as a top 250 kind of guy. Uh, let me just look this up here real quick. So Jay Lamar uh, commit profile. Let me see if I can – Pull this up here real quick. I had Jay Lamar. Yeah, as a top 250 caliber prospect. Good player. But because you got you didn't get him last year, 
it meant you could get two this year. And to me, both guys you got this year are better than what Jay Lamar was. And so now you went and got Jeremiah Love. You end up sometimes a loss can be a blessing in disguise. And I think that's exactly what that was. It was a blessing in disguise. And you were able to go out and get two guys this year that I think are both better players. If you had Jaden Lamar in last year's class, you can only take one of them. They probably would have taken Aeneas, which means you don't really have room for uh, Kedron Young, who I think is better than both of those guys. So I, I, I referring to Aeneas and Jaden Lamar. So I think that I'm, I'm, I think it's a great class. I think it's an out. I, I really, and I don't use that word lightly. I'm using that specifically, not hyperbolically. I think it's a great offensive class so far. Uh, I think that it, it there. Well, I believe that skill wise quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, they're fine if they stop now. They've met their numbers. They got talented players. They got impact players. You look at a guy like Jack Larson and say, bam, wouldn't it be nice to have a another tight end who's more of a volume guy? That that We'll, we'll talk about that. But Jack Larson's one of those do-the-dirty-work guys. He's going to, you know, third and five, he's going to get himself open. He's an outstanding route runner. He's got phenomenal ball skills he can block, which means what? He's a great complement to the receivers that you've brought in who are the last two years are volume guys. So you've brought a bunch of receivers in because you look at tight end recruiting the last two years, Jack Larson and Cooper Flanagan. They're not guys that are going to be 60 catch Tyler Eifert, Michael, uh, Michael Mayer type of guys. They're more of the complimentary tight ends. Well, okay, that that's fine because you've got receivers that are doing more of that, which now means that you don't have to have a tight end that just goes out and dominates the way Michael Mayer did. He's still going to get his production because he's going to find himself in a lot of one-on-one matchups. And so I think, again, it complements him very well. And I think that's an important part of this. So I'm excited about this class. But what's truly going to determine how good this class is going to be is, is how they finish. This is a top five group to me. I think they've got a chance to make it a top one to two group. I, I truly believe that. And and part of that is because I I grade CJ Carr better than most. I think he is right now in the con- conversation for best quarterback in the class for college. I think there's a couple guys that maybe have better physical tools, not many, but they don't have his other traits as a quarterback. I think this is an outstanding running back group. Outstanding. It's going to be a top three to four running back tandem. I think this is going to be a top five receiving core. Uh, this season when you look at it you know pound for pound player for player thing along things along those lines you have two top 100 players in it another top 200 guy top 150 guy for me it's going to be a top five receiving core tight end is a good player I have Jack Larson as a top 250 caliber player offensive line is where I don't have this class graded as high I have Peter Jones as a top 150 player with a four-star upside I have uh, Styles Prescott as a uh, top 250 player right now. He ranks sort of lower on my list. He's number eight out of 10, but he's got a very high upside. Uh, talked to someone earlier today trying to find out, you know, what his measurements were when he when he did his visit. Notre Dame will, will, will weigh guys in and take heights and weights and things like that. And I was told he measured in a little over 6'6 six, six and 289 pounds. So he's already starting to fill out, which has me fired up and makes me feel better about his upside grade. Now it doesn't change his current grade because I need to see it on film, but it certainly helps me feel better about his upside grade. Getting him was important because you got a pure tackle. Anthony Knapp, it, that that's going to be determined by who's right on Anthony Knapp. If I'm right on Anthony Knapp, then you need to have a fourth lineman big time. If Joe Rudolph is right on Anthony Knapp, this is going to be a really good offensive line class just as it is because there's a lot more talent there. But the key to me is going to be Gearby Lambert. Right now, I feel as though skill-wise, Notre Dame can compete with anybody. Tight end, they got a perfect complement for what they needed in the class at that one spot. The offensive line class, to me, is not a typical Notre Dame class. In some regard, I'm not crushing Joe Rudolph for it for two reasons. Number one, we've explained it. He hasn't had the time to build the relationships with the kids, the top players in the class. Uh, with some of the top guys on the board, as we've talked about, that's very important for offensive linemen, more probably than any other position. Number two, it's not a great year on the offensive line. And that's why getting Styles Prescott was so important because he is a high ceiling guy. Maybe he doesn't have the floor of what we've seen in past years when you when you get the McGlinchies and the Elmers and the Nelsons and the Bars and guys like that that you just know are going to be good players. Are they going to be great? We'll find out, but at least they're going to be good. Eichenberg was that way. Kramer was that way. Kramer was that way. Haynes was that way. You're, you're getting more Aaron Banks types in this class. 
yeah, I think this guy can be good Styles Prescott, but I don't know. We'll see how he pans out. Well, it worked out with Aaron Banks. We'll find out if Joe Rudolph can develop a kid like that because that's a bit of the unknown for me is I don't know. I'm curious, you know, can Joe Rudolph develop the way that Harry Heastan could? We're going to find out. That's a pretty high bar. And if he can, then Styles Prescott's going to have a chance to be a really good player. But you put Gearby Lambert in this conversation, and, and number one, not only does it kind of make us all feel better about, okay, Joe Rudolph's, you know, he's going to keep this thing going from a recruiting standpoint, but just practically speaking, it's a huge need. He's one of the few, to me, high-level tackles in the class. Now, I have him as a top 100 recruit right now, clear, easy five-star upside. He's a guy that, me, when it's all said and done, is going to be a top 50 recruit when it's all said and done, maybe five-star when it's all said and done, but let's, I'm going to pump the brakes on that one a little bit, but he's got that kind of talent. We'll see how quickly he progresses as a senior, but even beyond that, you're talking about a guy that now gives them a, a legit pure potential left tackle type of player. Now you've got two guys in this class that have the potential to play left tackle goes back to what I said earlier. It now increases the odds that someone is going to emerge as your left tackle. And I think that's a bit of the concern I have about the current roster is once Joe Walt leaves, who's the natural left tackle? I don't know who that's going to be. Is it Jagasaw? Is it Emil Wagner? Is it is it Blake Fisher? Who's that going to be? You add Gearby Lambert and Styles Prescott, you've increased your chances of going out and getting a really good left tackle in future years. So he's important to this class. Last guy I want to talk about is Carter Nelson. Carter Nelson is a very intriguing player to talk about. Because when you look at the the need at tight end, there's not a need there. Some people will argue that there is because there's a chance you're going to have five tight ends in, in 24, 25. Uh, there's a chance that, you know, with the injury history, and, and all that's valid. It, it really is. It's it's Those are valid things to bring up. The reason I'm not necessarily as, as locked into the numbers of the past is because I think Notre Dame's making a shift offensively in its reliance on 12 and 13 personnel. I 100% believe that as long as Jared Parker is the offensive coordinator, 12 and 13 personnel will be part of their package week after week, especially 12 personnel. But what I also believe is that they're not recruiting the number of receivers and running backs. In the last two years, Notre Dame has signed 10, 10 running backs and receivers or landed commitments from, and they've got commitments or signed two tight ends. Why? Because I think you're wanting to see a team that understands we need to get more speed on the, we need to have the ability to get more speed on the field. And, and the way to do that is 11 personnel, 21 personnel, 20 personnel. And so you don't have the need for 12 and 13 to the high volume that they've, that they've had in the past. So there's not the need for six to seven tight ends. It's more five to six. And so with Eli Raritan, with Holden Stace, with you know, Cooper Flanagan, and now Jack Larson plus Mitchell Levin still having multiple years of eligibility, you're, you're kind of in a good place there numbers-wise. Now, if there's injuries, you could be in trouble. So why are you still recruiting Carter Nelson? Great question. Easy answer. Because he's really talented. And I think the uniqueness of Carter Nelson, when you look at his speed, his athleticism, his skill set, He's a completely different tight end type of tight end than really what they have on the roster. The closest thing to him would be Eli Raritan, and even Eli is still a true tight end. Carter Nelson is, is a borderline hybrid player, and I don't mean hybrid like you're thinking. I mean it like Jack Larson, you know, wing, you know, H. That's a that's a hybrid tight end. I I don't even know if hybrid tight end is the right word. It's he's he's more of a hybrid receiver tight end. And and what I mean by that is you're talking about a kid that's going to be is going to be faster than some receivers you've put on the field in the past. He's a kid that's more of a true pass catcher. And when you look at him and Jack Larson on the field together, it's 12 personnel, but it's not 12 personnel the way you've been using 12 personnel. And that's what makes it potentially dangerous. So if you put him and Larson in the field or 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 Carter Nelson and Cooper Flanagan on the field, you have the ability with with Carter Nelson to move him around and have him block on the edge and do some things like that if you need to. But you're really in a situation where you're almost kind of going back to 2012, where a lot of times Notre Dame would line up in 12 personnel, but their boundary receiver was Tyler Eifert, and they used him like a wide receiver. And I think that with 
Carter Nelson, he brings some of that to the table. Where Cooper Flanagan and Jack Larson are short to intermediate, move the chains, third down, good route runners, use their ball skills to be effective. A guy like Carter Nelson's more of a, hey, out of this 12 personnel, we can take this thing over the top to our tight end. He can stretch the field. And I think that's something that's been missing from the offense a little bit. I think that that Michael Mayer should have been used down the field more. I understand why they didn't this past year, quarterback being the, the primary reason why. But I think having a tight end that can line up in the slot, can line up a tight end, can also line up in the boundary and allow you to attack vertically gives your offense a lot of potential weapons because I can I can block with a seven-man box on one play and then free release and be a, 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 an impact, dangerous threat pass game-wise on the next play and not have to change personnel. And so although Carter Nelson is not a need from a numbers-on-your-depth-chart standpoint, I think the staff kind of went back and forth on, do we take a fourth receiver or a tight end? And what basically, and I think this had a lot to do with, with because Jared Parker's the, the offensive coordinator, if maybe a receiver's coach or a quarterback's coach was the offensive coordinator, maybe it would have been a different decision. But because Jared Parker, who is the tight ends coach, is the offensive coordinator, I think he's looking at it thinking, well, I can do some things in 12 personnel with him that I can't do in 11 personnel with a Jason Robinson or a Jeremiah McClellan, or maybe some of those other guys that we've all talked about who are talented players that we all like. But this gives us a lot more versatility, a lot more flexibility. We can go big with a kid like him and and really attack teams. And I think that's really what it comes down to is you're recruiting him because he can be that guy that puts you over the top skill, skill player-wise, as opposed to, hey, we met a need. We needed a second back, and we got a second back, and he happens to be really good. You don't need a second tight end in this class, but you're recruiting Carter Nelson because you add that kind of talent and potential with what they've already signed the last two years. And now you're saying, I don't know that you can you can really point to anybody that's consistently done what Notre Dame has done at quarterback, running back, receiver, and tight end. Obviously, Ohio State's recruited receiver, in my opinion, last year. And if you know if Jeremiah Smith sticks this year. They've got a chance to have another great receiver class. We say, okay, yeah, they've recruited receiver better than Notre Dame. I don't think they've recruited running back better than Notre Dame. I don't think they've recruited quarterback better than Notre Dame. And then you get Carter Nelson, and you're like, they haven't recruited tight end better than Notre Dame. They haven't recruited offensive line better than Notre Dame in, in, if they're able to finish with Gearby Lambert and with, with Carter Nelson. So you start to get really excited about what a guy like him could bring to the table, and that's exactly why Notre Dame is recruiting Carter Nelson. There's not a need for him. But there's a want for them because what are your goals? You're trying to say, what can we do to beat Bama, to beat Georgia, to beat Ohio State, uh, to to beat Clemson in the games that matter? Notre Dame's beat Clemson, what, twice, right, in the last few years? Last two times they've played in the regular season, Notre Dame's won both of them. But they played each other twice in the postseason as well, and Clemson won both games convincingly. Those are the games that matter, not the regular season games. Regular season games are important. You're two and one against Clemson in the regular season. You're zero and two in the postseason. That that matters. And so, what can you do when those money in those money game situations? And that's why you look at a guy like Carter Nelson. That's why Gearby Lambert is so important because they're the final pieces to saying, "Hey, this is a great offensive class, but we're trying to make it a gap racing class." The classes they have right now, and and I want to hear what you guys think about this. When I look at the offensive recruiting last year and this year and combine them. And when I look at the offensive class uh, individually, I think they were both gap-closing classes in different ways. I think this year's class, to me, closes the gap even more than it did la- than last year's class because of the quarterback, because the quarterback's so much better. I think you add Carter Nelson and Gearby Lambert to go with last year's class, and the gap, to me, offensively, just from a pure talent standpoint, they got to develop it and produce it and do all that. We're just talking pure recruiting and talent acquisition. I think the gap has all but been erased because of the balance. They hit their marks and they landed impact players, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, and offensive line. Because if they don't get Carter Nelson, I like the tight end recruiting the last two years. It's been good. Cooper Flanagan was a a, a guy that I liked in last year's class. Trying to find what was my ranking for Cooper Flanagan. Give me a second. I'm going to find this one real quick. All right, Cooper Flanagan. I had Cooper signed as I had Cooper ranked as a top 200 ta- caliber player. It's a good player. Jack Larson, top 250 kind of guy. They're good players. 
they're not elite players. Carter Nelson can be an elite player. So you'd now have elite quarterback, running back, receiver, and tight end rooms because now I like Jack Larson. I think I like Jack Larson a lot more than some of you in the in the in the chat seem to like Jack Larson. Some of you talking about drop him. It's, to me, that's nonsense. He's a good football player, but he's a good football player that needs to be your number, your 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 two, your complimentary guy. Or if he's your starter, he, you're not asking him to be Michael Mayer. You're asking him to be you know Ben Koyak. You're asking him to be you know a complimentary weapon to your other your an Alize Mack, a guy that. Hey, I'll make the big play when I need to, but I'm a compliment to Chase and Miles, or I'm a compliment to the receivers on the on the roster. You're not recruiting him to be Michael Mayer, to be to be Tyler Eifert, uh, to be Kyle Rudolph. You're just not recruiting him to do that. Now, if you can have him as your number two, potentially number three, now all of a sudden you're loaded at tight end, and so I think that's a very important piece to this conversation. Like I love Micah Gilbert as a player, especially the value that you get for him being your third ranked receiver. If he's your number one, and then there's two guys beneath him, he's really good. But are you are you really a championship caliber unit? And I think that's what a guy like Carter Nelson does. You add that kind of impact talent to where now your number one and number two tight ends become your number two and number three tight ends, and you're that much more impactful. And I think Gearby Lambert is is also incredibly important because you put him and Charles Jagasaw in back to back years, you've landed one of the nation's best tackles in back to back years and pure tackles. And then you went and got an in-state kid in South Prescott who has a very high ceiling as well. Now you don't necessarily, you're not as hurt as much if a guy like uh, Anthony Knapp can't stay at tackle or Sullivan Absher can't stay at tackle. You can now be more willing to move those guys inside if that's where they're best suited because you have Gearby and Charles and Styles, And having a guy like Gearby along with, you know, the fact that Emil Wagner was a red shirt, put you in a situation where with Styles and Gearby, if the need, if the opportunity opens up for Charles Jagasaw to start at guard, because let's say there's not an open tackle spot, but there's an open guard spot and he's without question your next best lineman, you can move him in knowing we just recruited two really talented kids behind him that we can develop there. And then maybe we move him back out when his time comes, maybe, or if those guys develop and emerge, you can leave them there. And so I think those are the reasons why recruits don't always just, it's not always just about that individual recruit and what he brings to the table. It's also about how it impacts those around him. And that's why I think Gary B. Lambert's so important. So moral of the story, love this class, love this offensive class. Defensive class needs to pick it up. If you look at my rankings and, and look at the top, you know, right now they have 20 kids committed. I don't rank them all together. I like ranking the sides of the ball separately. But if you look at the grade, my top four offensive players are top 100 guys. My highest ranked defensive player, Cole Mullins, is a borderline top 100 guy. But right now he's in the 150 range, meaning the top four players in this entire class are uh, offensive players. And then if you wanted to get deeper into that and look at the defensive class, you're going to have to go down a little bit past Logan Thomas before you get another guy in that in that ranking. So Micah Gilbert would be ahead of most of the defensive players. Leonard Moore is the only guy that right now is is kind of in that battle to be, you know, in that bottom half of the top ten of the class. So defense has got to step it up. We'll have a, we'll have a show about that later. Probably talk about the defensive class in this segment next week. But offensive class is really outstanding, and uh, it's just ironic to me. I don't know if you all feel the same way. But it's ironic to me that the biggest side, the side of the ball that's had the biggest jump in recruiting success since Marcus Freeman, former defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, former defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, former defensive coordinator at Purdue, starting linebacker, team captain at Ohio State, is part of an of a, a staff that's just killing it in offensive recruiting. I think that's great, and it's encouraging because eventually Coach Freeman's going to get the defensive side of the ball rolling like it was when he was the defensive coordinator. When that happens, if you can maintain the offensive success you're having now, that's how Notre Dame gets to to be the type of team that says, hey, we can put a talent on the field that can match anybody. They're not there yet, but they're getting there, and they're certainly closing that gap in these two offensive classes, and especially this 24 class, certainly do that.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.